0: Debts. It's another episode of the Casey's Corner podcast here on Uh, We've got a lot planned here for this episode. We're going to uh, give you your COVID update. We're going to answer some COVID questions. Then we're going to talk about some things in the world of sports. And I'll be honest with you, pending a um, couple of people maybe texting or calling back while I'm doing this COVID update and this sports update, we may have a couple of calling guests here in this episode. I could tell you that uh, I have been working hard to line up uh, guests in the future. I have uh, Teresa Plaisons, WNBA star, Vanderbilt graduate, LSU star. She's going to be joining us in the next couple of days, and uh, we're excited about that. We're excited about a lot of the other people who will be joining us here in the next um, couple of days and weeks, and uh, yeah, we're going to make this happen. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to continue to have a lot of fun, and we're going to keep you updated on the pandemic and we're going to keep you updated on the world of sports and we're going to have a lot of fun and we're going to get to know each other uh, a little bit better so in the state of Louisiana we now have 29,673 COVID-19 cases Uh, we have 1,991 deaths Um, we have 1,502 patients in the hospital with COVID ailments and 220 of those are on ventilators So those numbers are increasing at about the same rate that they have been increasing in the last couple of days, you know, 250, 350 uh, cases per day. But the good news today uh, has come in the form of recovery statistics, which were released by the Louisiana Department of Health today. As of May the 2nd, um, 20,316 patients have recovered from coronavirus in Louisiana. So when you add that number to the number of people who have died, which is close to 2,000, and you divide that by the number of total cases, which is 29,673, you could see that 75% of the COVID-19 cases in the state of Louisiana are now closed. Um, so what does that mean? Well, we we tracked that same number last Monday, and 70% of the COVID-19 cases in the state of Louisiana were closed. So um, that means that we have more closed cases now than we did seven days ago, and, and which ultimately means fewer sick people now than we did seven days ago. We got like 7,200 active COVID-19 cases. That's down from about 8,000 at the same time last week. So fewer sick people means fewer hospitalized people, which means that we're gonna be more inclined to start lifting restrictions and lifting regulations and easing some of the things that we have been doing um, 1,502 patients in the hospitals um, that's a fraction of what it once was it once was you know close to 2,200 uh, I failed I didn't mention LaFouche cases 681 LaFouche Parish cases 52 LaFouche Parish people have died from COVID-19 um, get asked a lot who those people are and I don't I, I understand when you know you guys aren't asking like exactly who the people are you know what's their name first name last name but you're asking, you know, just generic what type of person is dying from this. Um, the overwhelming vast majority are, you know, the elderly. Um, we've had patients in nursing homes. We've had, you know, it's, it's the same here as it is around the state of Louisiana. It, the overwhelming majority of people are, who are dying are the elderly and they're people who have pre-diagnosed medical conditions. Now, uh, you know, you look at that number of the 1,991 people who have died in Louisiana, 1,300 36 of them are 70 and above and 361 more are in the 60 to 69 age range so that means uh, you do the math about 1600 of our nineteen hundred and ninety-one deaths have come from people who are in between 60 on up Um, so this has not been a a young people thing Um, but the trick of it is that young people could contract it and give it to old people who could then perish so that's why we've been doing the things that we've been doing um but you know things are getting better and um i think one thing that we've got to look to is the the advent and the implementation of antibody testing which is going to be coming in the coming days um because man i i don't know if you guys saw this it's on cnn there was a a a plant a meat plant in the midwest and i'm going to botch these numbers all up Uh, i'm approximating the numbers but they tested every worker at the plant because there was a covid 19 outbreak and, uh, something like 300 people tested positive at that plant, but none of the people who tested positive had symptoms. They were all asymptomatic. So this means one of two things. It means one, we are probably closer to herd immunity than what we realize. Um, herd immunity is whenever it, the, the, the spread of something is widespread in a community and you know, you, you basically run out of people to give it to. Um, we're probably closer to that than what we realized because if if there are 300 people in a random sample Who have this who are not experiencing any symptoms at all? There are no telling how many people in Louisiana and in, in LaFouche and around the world who have had this and never knew it And you know, this wasn't just some kind of fluke thing. This wasn't a situation where they, they just had some faulty tests or because they've been doing antibody tests around the country and the results have been the same. Uh, one study in, in, in California said that the cases in that community should have been 30 times higher than reported. Another you know, sample in, in, in Boston said cases should have been 10, 12 times higher than reported. In jails, it's the same thing. They're testing all the prisoners. They're coming back with three, 400 positive you know, results in a prison and none of the patients, you know, none of the, the, the people who tested positive are having any symptoms. So it, it, that's, that's what you want to look for right now is not necessarily the total number, but more the uh, hospitalized number. And as long as that number continues to go down, which it, as we said, it's 1,502 in Louisiana right now. As long as that number continues to go down, we're doing good things. We're staying in good shape. And right now our hospital system, uh, excuse my language, excuse my French, our hospital system is kicking this thing's ass. And we're happy to see that. And if you know a health worker, thank them, pat them on the back, tell them good job. Um, you know, they're, they're doing it. They're, they're risking their lives and they're doing it. So we've got some COVID-19 questions from you guys. I'll be happy to take those. If you got any COVID-19 questions for me, drop me a line on Facebook. Um, send me an email, justclarecasey at gmail.com. Uh, so the first question is, Casey, when will we see an Easter spike in our numbers or has that time passed? Um, I'm going to be asked. I feel, about an Easter spike um, even in the winter. <laughs> you know, I got a feeling we're gonna get all the way through to November and you guys are gonna still be asking me about an Easter spike. I'm not making fun of the question. It's a good question. I've been asked this by a ton of people, but it ain't happening. There's not going to be any spike. It would've happened by now. Easter was almost a month ago now. Um, the contraction period has come and passed. Um, it's not gonna happen. If it would have happened, it would have already happened by now. Um, We made it through that and got out to the other side. Um, So kudos to you all for doing the things that you were supposed to be doing, but that's not going to be an issue going forward. We're gonna uh, continue to make progress and and the Easter spike, as they like to call it's not going to be a factor in our future. Second question, when can schools reopen in the state of Louisiana and what phase does that occur? um good question obviously the school uh year is is canceled um for the rest of the year but uh campuses are going to reopen in phase two um which would mean if there's you know any type of summer school or summer tutoring um or even you you know you kind of start looking at you know the the Basic outline of you know teams getting together and meeting and having team meetings on campus or at a practice field, that would be in phase two of the federal plan. Um, which you figure this is an assumption because you know we all made the assumption we were going to reopen on May the first and and the egg was on our face because it didn't happen. But the assumption is that we're going to reopen on May the fifteenth or May the eighteenth. May the fifteenth is a Friday. May the eighteenth is a Monday. Um if we reopen on May the 15th and then we have the 14 days of success to elevate us into phase two, that would mean that schools were would be in a position to reopen in extreme late May to early June. Um, so if there is some, and, and Nichols has already come out on record saying they're, they're opening the campuses in June the 1st, they're starting summer school. Um, so I think that we would see the same and and what this does is by opening the schools, um, we would then be in a situation to where you know, we could maybe do uh, social distancing for recreation. And, and you know, uh, as again, like tutoring and, and different things, summer school, you know, opening up for ACT testing and all the different things that come with having a school open uh, that are not involving classes, obviously, because school has been canceled until September. Number three, will I find out if someone I know tested positive for COVID-19? That's a good question. The answer is yes. If you are in direct contact with this person, if they're a coworker, if they're a family member, if there's someone that you, you know, come in close contact with on a day-to-day basis, yes, you're going to find out. You're going to be notified, um, and in many cases, you're going to actually be asked to quarantine. If you came in extreme close contact with that person, you're going to be asked to quarantine for a couple of days. Make sure that you don't show any symptoms and uh, didn't contract the virus. Um, but yes, you will be alerted. Now, again, you know if you brush into somebody at the store or if somebody you know at uh, the store, you know sneezes on you, you know, you'll never know. Um, but if it's someone that you come into close and official direct contact with on a day-to-day basis, you will be alerted. Question four, let's see. I get question four quite a bit. It is, um, does warm weather kill the coronavirus? Um, This was something that was axed quite a bit um, in the early stages of the pandemic and experts were kind of shying away from answering it. Um, But the more and more research is being done, we're finding out that yes, um, it, it does. Well, say yes. No, it doesn't kill the coronavirus. But yes, it makes it survive for a shorter amount of time on surfaces and what I mean by that is okay um, You got COVID-19 can last for a long time on a surface on you know Your wooden table on your counter on your door handle on the you know inside of your house And that's why you know this thing is tricky because it could stay on surfaces It could stay in the air for, for quite some time if the air is comfortable Um, you know, that's all indoor temperatures, you know, 68 degrees to 75 degrees, you know, the basic temperatures you'd have inside of a house. Um, but in direct sunlight and in temperatures that are getting to where we are now in Louisiana, which are the 80s. And, you know, even by the end of the week, they're saying, you know, even the 90s, um, is just not going to last very long on outside surfaces. So, um, what that means is if you're going to the beach, um, you know, your ice chest is not going to, if somebody sneezes on your ice chest and, you know, you guys just leave it laying around in the sun for a couple of minutes, the virus is gonna die, you know, you know, assuming that the person who sneezed on it, you know, had COVID-19, obviously. Um, your, your car door handles, your mailbox, all the things that you touch that in the winter and spring could have stayed at a cool temperature, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna heat up at levels to where, you, you know, exterior touch will not be much of a factor to spread this fires person to person yeah if you know if you breathe in someone else's you know droplets and you know different things like that yeah it'll still be able to spread but it's just not going to last on exterior surfaces that have been exposed to the heat for very long which will be good because i mean it will enable us to do so much um so many things outside um that we were afraid at one time of doing Number five: Will there be a second stimulus payment granted to Americans? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but I don't know for sure. Um, I think that now that state economies are starting to reopen, more people are going to be getting back to work, and I think that you know there are going to be fewer and fewer people who are going to be in need of that. And I think ideally, you know, the the, the government's going to want your "quote unquote" payments to be coming from your employer. I don't think that, you know, they want to be issuing out any more money to individuals unless if they have to. Um, but President Trump has said, you know, I mean, if there is a need there, then, you know, yeah, they're going to do it. But I don't think that that's going to be something we're going to need. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Number six. Do you think the worst of COVID-19 is behind this? And I could tell you proudly, loud and proud and overwhelming, resounding. Yes, I do think it is. Um, the worst is behind us. There's nobody who studies these numbers more than me. Um, I look at them every day, uh, throughout the day, probably too many times in a day. I study the hospitalization charts, I study you know, the, how many ventilators are available, how many ICU beds are available. I could tell you in region three, which is our region, there are 24 ventilators in use, 100 are available, that's great. There are 43 ICU beds in use, there are 54 available, that's great, and numbers, around the rest of the state are doing well too um this was a scary thing for a long time and it's still scary today i'm not trying to demean it but i do think that we have put our peak in the rear view mirror and going forward we're going to be going downhill as opposed to going uphill which i know is something that excites everybody so that is your covid19 update we've spent about 15 minutes on it so let's go ahead and catch a quick commercial break when we get back we're going to talk about some sports here on the casey's corner podcast on Lafouchegazette.com. And this would be a good time to remind you guys to get the Lafouche Gazette app brand new live in your app store. Type in Lafouche Gazette. Uh, you get breaking news updates. You get push notifications. You get all the things that we're spending our time doing throughout the day live on the comfort of your phone. Never need a laptop or an iPad. It all comes to your phone straight from us to you. So it's the Lafouche Gazette app live now in your app store. Type it in. Get it today. It is the Casey's Corner podcast here on LafoucheGazette.com got some good news remember earlier in the show i told you i was waiting on some people to text me back well i've got a few people who have texted me back or one at least south of oosh softball coach pete Melisaw. he will be joining us a little later in the show to talk about his softball team they had a great season before being stopped by the covid19 pandemic coach pete is a fun guy um, very very smart uh very very witty and we look forward to talking to him a little bit later in the show um but let's go ahead and talk some sports um There are a couple of things going on right now, and I'd be remiss if I didn't offer my commentary and my thoughts on the last dance documentary that has been airing on ESPN. Um, I didn't talk about this in the first episode because admittedly I had missed episode three and four, um, but I watched episode three, four, and then five and six yesterday. So I'm now caught up, a little bit more educated to talk about the documentary and some of the things that I think about it. And the overwhelming topic that is ingrained in my brain as i want to talk about this is my god michael Jordan was just an unbelievable basketball player an unbelievable talent and i know i'm not surprising anybody by saying that i mean this is not breaking news everybody knows the type of athlete and the type of player that he is and was and but my god watching those clips um the punishment that he would take in his era from you know trying to go into the lane just getting clobbered um but the way he endured that and the way he pushed past that got bigger and faster and stronger and overcame all of that, it just left me thinking, like if this dude, and I talked about this on my own social media yesterday, if this dude played in the NBA today and he had the modern training and medicine that the athletes of today have, and he had the hand-checking rules that the athletes of today have, he would average, that this son of a gun would average 50 points a game and think about that I I know your first instinct is to hear that and say come on bro ain't nobody averaging 50 points a game but think about what I'm telling you in the last two seasons James James Harden um, has averaged in the 35 to 37 point range per game I love James Harden he's my favorite player the Houston Rockets are my favorite team but James Harden ain't Michael Jordan and you know if you think about the level of talent and the skill and the athleticism the, the Bulls now, they would play a more modern game. And they would isolate and they would do the pick and roll and they would get a poor defender switched onto MJ and he would go to work. The, the dude would score 50 points a game. And the reason why I know that, or I don't know that, the reason why I believe that is I don't think you'd be able to guard him without fouling him. I think that he would shoot 25 to 30 free throws a game. If my man Harden is shooting 13 or 14 free throws a game, shooting outside shots the entire game michael attacking the basket would get 20 free throws a game if not more and you fit i mean that that's 17 18 points right out of the gate then you add in the mid-range game and he would develop into three shooter, the guy would average 50 points per game in today's nba it is stupid how good that guy is um oh my god and if you're looking at the videos of him talking on the, the documentary he looks great he would probably average 10 15 points a game right now um but just in awe of the greatness of that man and the two episodes yesterday i was was struck by the, the stories of uh the dream team facing a croatia and the, the backstories of how the the bulls wanted to put tony kukoc in his place and i thought that was riveting i thought that was fascinating and just you don't see that level of competitiveness of competitiveness anymore um today man everybody wants to be friends you know the in love the lebron james era man everybody got to go and have drinks together after the game um i hate that i don't like that i wish that we were more competitive um now as we were then i miss the days when teams genuinely disliked one another i mean michael jordan to this day still hates isaiah thomas there's not a single player in the nba right now that lebron james would say anything bad about uh if if you asked him during an interview or a press conference but it's just not that same level of disdain and there's not that same level of, of passion in today's game because everybody it's a fraternity everybody's all in it together and they're just trying to entertain and make as much money as possible and i get it that's cool but as a fan it's just not the same um i another thing that i i learned is man that that the the competitiveness of those practices that they were showing with the dream team that was riveting man that was unbelievable tv and i don't know that we're going to ever see a, a collection of basketball talent like that team again. Um, Jordan, Magic, Bird, you know, the, the big post players Robinson and all those guys. That is an unbelievable basketball that we're never gonna see a, a team that's gonna dominate on the international level like that again. Now, um, one thing that I wanted to touch on that just drove me nuts while I was watching this is the focus on Michael's um, political stances, our lack thereof. Um, man who cares um and there was such controversy about his thoughts of saying that republicans buy sneakers too and you know there were these these leaders you know even former president barack obama commenting how they were disappointed and michael jordan's job was to play basketball and to win basketball games and guess what he did a damn good job of doing that he was the best of all time at doing that um it was not his job to be a political leader a political activist it's not his job to be a role model it's not his job to do anything but dominate basketball games and by do- doing that he made his family hundreds of millions of dollars probably now even into the billions of dollars so this idea that you have to um have your cake and eat it too and you have to be a superstar athlete but then also an activist and then you also have to you will know, be a left winger or you have to stand for something that the mainstream you know liberal media wants you to stand for is absurd uh why should you limit your earning potential why should you because that's the thing that we don't realize in the world today is that um if you lean towards one side or the other you're isolating the whole other side and as a businessman why would you want to upset 50 percent of the people because as MJ said, those 50% of the people are buying shoes just like the other 50% of the people were. So I understand the, the neutrality. And I also understand that he did donate money to the candidate that they wanted him to come out and publicly endorse. So he did do his part just in his own way. I don't like that we try to control these athletes and make them into something that we think they should be they're their own people and the fact that michael jordan stayed out of national politics and continues to stay out of national politics that's his own right he's an american he's got freedom just like everybody else um and i think you know good on him he, he's never caved to the pressure and he's he's not a puppet like lebron james is captain america has got to you know always stand for something has always got to be the first one on social media to, to comment and tell someone else how to live well that's not MJ that's never been MJ and I, I like that he stood up and he's never changed who he is for the, the and he's never caved to public pressure good on him another thing I didn't like was all the focus on this alleged gambling addiction um, folks you got to understand something like for, for a reporter to, to say that someone has a gambling addiction um, or that someone is doing or gambling an absurd amount of money. You have to take things into context, right? Um, Michael Jordan has probably lost a ton of money gambling. That That's a fact. But you also got to realize that $1 million to him is $100 to me. Um, so when you got it, you could afford to lose it a little bit. The guy's not hurting financially, and it didn't hurt his play. He never lost an NBA Finals series or anything like that. It was all overblown, and it was all just a byproduct. It was just the creation of a story just for the sake of trying to slander somebody. And that's what's wrong with the national news and the mainstream news is that when there's not a story there, they get bored and instead of, you know, just not reporting anything or reporting a positive story, they will, you create a negative story and a negative narrative. And that's the whole reason why the ratings are dropping in that whole entire realm right now, but I could do an entire story and that I just wanted to say I just thought that was ridiculous and I didn't remember that as a child. I didn't remember all that that scandal and that saga, but I just thought it was ridiculous that so much focus was on that, and they were questioning, you know, whether or not he was focused as a player. And come on, man, the dude never lost. He he was focused. He was the most competitive player and the most competitive athlete that we've ever known. One more sports thing to talk about: uh, there was a report today in uh, done, or a poll rather done by ESPN saying that seventy six percent of fans favor a return to sports without fans over no return at all um duh i I would like to know who the 24 people who are the 24 percent of people are who said nah bruh we're good we could just not have any sports We'll, we'll wait until the fans are able to go that's ridiculous of course we want something over nothing of course i would much rather be watching an mlb season right now with no fans as opposed to waiting and you know hoping that someday the fans will be able to be in the stadiums again I'd much rather be watching the NBA playoffs right now with no fans than just sitting here and watching reruns of you know I Love Lucy every night. Um, It was okay at one time, but now we've gotta get back to playing for the sanity of the American people. Um, Sports has been our reprieve for so long, and we need them back. I could only watch the same LSU games on ESPN Classic and SEC Network for so long. We need some new content here. I'm happy that UFC's gonna be coming back this weekend. but yeah of course we need we need him to come back and we need him to come back sooner rather than later and uh i could tell you this i do believe in my heart of hearts that by the fall we're gonna have fans in the stands again and we're gonna lick this thing and we're gonna do the things that we need to do to push past this pandemic and get out through to the other side so i have confirmation from coach pete mellison he's going to be joining us in the next segment uh, we're going to talk about some south of softball they were doing wonderful things they're turning that program around coach Pete is an interesting guy We're going to have him on in the next segment. Uh, But first, let's go ahead and get a quick message from LaFoucheGazette.com. And when we get back after, we're going to have Coach Pete. And after Coach Pete, I'm going to answer some questions from you guys that were asked to me about some things going on in the world of sports. So keep it right here. It's Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. And this is a reminder to you that on every Monday, LaFouche Gazette goes back in the day. We have an archived copy of every single edition that we have ever produced Going back decades, we'll sometimes go into the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and you'll see local faces, local places, things of the past, and it's all out of good time. So a reminder, every Monday, go back in the day with the Lafouge Gazette at LaFoucheGazette.com, including today. On this Monday, we'll have another issue that will be dropping later tonight. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. We're happy to be joined by our guest on the phone lines at this time. That is South LaFouche softball coach, Coach Pete Mellison. Coach, how you doing, man?
1: Doing good, Casey. How about you?
0: Good. Doing great. Um, man, I know that this is a rough time for everybody, because you guys would love to be well, You'd be right around the point where you'd be finishing up your season. Actually, a season that uh, a lot of people are calling the lost season. Your Lady Tarpon started the season off very strong. We're playing good ball and then all of a sudden it just all abruptly ended. Uh, talk us through what that was like as a coach. And, I mean, I'm sure you've been uh, trying your best to keep up with all the ladies. But, man, I'm sure it was a rough month and a half or so for, for everybody involved with Lady Tarpon softball.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, you know, kind of a shock and a real disappointment. We, we suspected something was coming. Um, we really didn't think that it would endure, endure to to uh, the point of ending the season. And and I think mainly, of course, you know, five girls ending – ending the career if you would of eight of our players who were seniors so um it was really really uh kind of kicking ahead for to those girls you know the eight seniors and uh a lot of emotions and you know like you mentioned we had some good stuff going we felt good about our team going into the um going into the weekend we're going to play in the uh, john Eric tournament so um we had some mixed results and we had some uh kind of disappointing games but a lot of successes a lot of successes and uh you know, running the packages on offense, in particular, we were running and trying to get things done. So, um, but you know, most of the girls are doing well, man, staying busy and planning lives and careers. Which you know, you know, we're proud. Uh, we're proud of what our girls do, and uh, just a bunch of high achievers right here who are going to go on to some uh, pretty great things in life.
0: So, how do you break that news to a team? Because I mean, you're dealing with 14 through 18 year old kids. A lot of them probably don't watch the news very much. I don't know how much they knew what was going on. How you break that to them that hey, we're gonna be on pause for a little while, and then ultimately after you know a waiting period, hey, we're not going to play again and it's officially canceled. How do you break that news to them?
1: Yeah, it was um, it was kind of a kick in the head to them, and and actually I was probably the one caught the most off guard. You know, uh, we were actually sitting, I thought, who's high school on the north ramp getting ready to bu- uh, board a bus to go play the weekend at the john eric tournament in new orleans and um so we had been back and forth all day with the the coaches at eric and um and west jeff and those guys and we were kind of on again off again on again then we won again and so i had hit the point you know come on let's get on the bus man get on the bus we're gonna get this thing done you know get at least one game the friday game in and um so they started ringing the bus and Gay called me, you know, my phone rang and it was Gay, our principal. And so I picked up the phone. And she said, Coach Pete, it's over. You know, the parents pulled the plug on everything. So, um, I just looked up and yelled at him, y'all get off the bus, you know, <laughs> and, um, and talked to her for a few minutes and turned around. And man, let me tell you, you know, I'm an all field guy, retired 36 years with Chevron, had to unfortunately terminate a lot of people and, all that stuff, and it goes with the turf. But let me tell you, when I turn around and face those girls, and um, particularly those eight seniors, man, they were standing there and looking at me, and, ooh, man, it was rough. I think reality kicked in for me at that point, you know, when I told them, look, season's over, you know, at this point. Didn't know be, you know, for good, but season's over at this point. And, look, they broke down crying, and it was like, man, it's one of the hardest things and i had to deal with it in my life you know it's like jesus christ man i never i never saw this because the emotional part of it you know um you know in business it's things happen and, and i was an emt for a long long time dealt with deaths and disruption, fired upon me but for some reason it was just watching those girls and look you know some of my girls man they had, i had girls on that team that i didn't think they could cry you know <laughs> and it. it they're yeah, just sitting there balling, you know, I'm like, man, where do you go from here? You know, so it's like, heck, I just joined them, man. It's like, <laughs> you know, but it, it it was a kick in the head, man. It was a kick in the head and looking at those girls and look, you know, girls on my team, like Olivia Vizier, one of the toughest human beings I've ever known, you know, Izzy Daniels and they're standing there bawling like somebody took their Halloween candy, you mm-hmm. know, but it was like Jesus, you know, yeah. I'm
0: like yeah, I'll just jump in, man. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And
1: um, but it was it's it a rough one, man. It was a rough
0: one. Coach, um, I, I want to give you kudos, man, because look, I was I was in at South LaFouche in the mid 2000s, and at that time. A victory for our softball program was a game where you know we were competitive but now y'all have turned it around and we're on the verge of having a winning season and come such a long way from you know the first step was to become competitive and then now you're you're more than competitive you're actually winning ball games and, and competing very favorably uh talk us through that i know you had a vision whenever you took the job talk us through where you are in this in you know what phase you are in in this rebuilding that you're you're doing to lady tarpon softball yeah
1: you know it was, it was um I'd been involved with Southfield Softball twice before, you know, as a, an assistant coach and uh for a couple of years at a time. And, you know, it was, a um, just to be truthful, you know, it, it was a pretty dismal program, man. You know, averaging one or two wins per year and, you know, playoffs weren't even thought of. But, um, you know, when we took over the program this time, you know, we committed to Southfield High School, to Gay and Brian and pretty much to our community that we would leave – you know, when we at some point we walk away from it, we leave two things. You know, a better team and a better facility, and we like our progress. We really like our progress on both. You know, we put a a lot of work into the facility, but more importantly, the girls. You know, and, and I think what you see in the difference is, by and by large, this group that we brought to St. Lafouche was, to be honest, a group of travel ball girls. And most of them played with us and for our teams, you know, for since they eight years old so we kind of knew what we had we knew that we had the depth and that's, that's our main attribute is depth you know and just blessed with blazing speed you know so we we like that we like what we saw in the girls we had a you know it's a little bit cliche to say a high character bunch but let me tell you this is an extremely high character bunch yeah i mean extremely high character bunch um and I I, I I attribute this more to, you know, the amount of time just spent on the field since they're basically babies, but just an incredibly high softball IQ, you know, as far as making the plays. I was telling somebody the other day, you know, I've been involved with um, three triple plays in my coaching career, three triple plays, and one girl, one single girl was involved in three of them, and two of the other ones were two girls, two of the same girls, you mm-hmm. know? And um, so it was like, it was incredible, man. They just get the ball and before you can yell, you know, you always want to yell, go here, go here, go here. But by the time you look up, the triple play is done. <laughs> and you know, that's a difficult play, man. It's a difficult play, a true triple play, not an error-based triple play. I mean, and basically love all three were the same runners on one and two, line drive to short, girl in short, flips it to the girl one second who was already there. Moving instinctively for the cover, who turns around and flips it to get the girl out in first. I mean, three identical plays. One player was common in all three of them, and two players were were mean common. Another player was in two of those plays. So it just and you know what? For me as a coach, it was it was gratifying because those two players have played for me since eight years old. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like no thought, just reaction and. Boom, boom, you know, and the play is done. Like boom, 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 and the play is done. So, well, we like the girls, man. We uh we kind of we're trying to emulate a little bit what we do in the gym. You know, we our basketball and our volleyball teams, and we were there, man. You know, look at our year this year. We did finish with a uh, winning season, which is a rarity. And you know, there's just something for softball, but even more importantly, that identity we wanted was when we were getting. You know, we were we were five and um. We were five and one at home at Tarpon, Lady Torpenfield Field with the only loss being that season open, open at the Central Foothill High School, four to two. And, you know, pretty much just dominated everybody else on our field. So, you know, we liked the direction. We had spent the week working, um, some more on our options. You see in the front, the little run option, which mm-hmm. is a kind of unusual to say it's all, but we run a run option offense. Where we actually give our hitters, cause so blessed, you know, we're blessed with so much speed that we give our hitters an option when they come in. If that defense is, if that, their defense is sucked up, drop it down. You know, I mean, blast it right through, which we drill, work hard on blasting the ball through the infield. If they're backed up, drop it, drop it down with sure. our speed. We you know with, uh, Ali Bosier, with, uh, um, with Bailey Melisson, with, uh, um, Alyssa Bourne, you know, we've got the kind of speed with those young girls that they can do it, you know, and they've got, they can put it over. I mean, those girls, it's kind of, an, uh, you know, it's kind of strange, but they're small. They can play small ball, but if they pull back and lean on the ball, they can and has gone over, I mean, in real games, you know, so it's it's, it's kind of using what we have and, and look, Jason, that's going to be big for us next year. You know, this year, losing old seniors includes four of the most powerful bats, that we've ever seen at Dallas High School, you know, and that's going to be hard, man. It's going to be hard to replace. So we we like our defense. We play pretty much lights out defense. We are fixing some positions we thought we needed to do some things in. And um, we can play small. You know, we can play small. And if you suck up on us, you know, crash, if you would crash on our small hitters, we'll just blast it right through your belly button, you know. So we like what we see for the future. We feel good about the team. Um uh, we got to use more of that speed, which sounds crazy because if you've seen us on the bags, we're not, we're not passive. We're not shy on the bags. We just <laughs> run like crazy, you know. And let like we get a girl like Mac Bynum in. You know, Mac has done an amazing job, you know, talking about a character girl. Mac has done an amazing job for us running the bases. You know, we, um, she's a basketball girl, but let me tell you, she's made some major contributions to that softball team, you know, and with her legs. I mean, getting on that base from running around. She's one of those with the kind of the,
0: the three young ones I mentioned, if they get on the bases, they're going to score. there are going And coach, um, one of the things we had talked about privately uh, earlier in the season is you got so many kids in the circle that could pitch and, and can pitch quality innings. You have such a depth there on the mound, and that's an area where I mean, you know as well as I do, if you don't allow runs, you ain't going to get beat very often. Then you got a lot of very good pitchers coming back.
1: Yeah, we you know we really have extreme debt you know and look they basically all come out claire Chasso you know one of our amazing seniors has pitched a lot you know for us through the years but pretty much this year she was really wasn't pitching she was anchoring the short position for us and because of the benefit we had as the pitchers but I think, I think the last time i looked you know, you count everybody they could throw for us we had 12 girls that pretty, could pretty much throw the innings for us you know and um Probably three or four who were really, really they're your starter, first reliever types and you know, so we had some girls that are strong. Our two main starters this year, um were, were I mean two sophomores, you know, two sophomores, Riley Boss, Madeline Bourgeois, and then our third in girl was a with a freshman Mallory Pierce, you know. So we had some girls that really, really are getting stronger, are getting stronger. We have young girls, another only you know, Cam Sheramby just gonna be an amazing ball player, you know, with a strength. I mean if you're a strength, I don't mention um I don't mention Olivia Vizier earlier, really, but I mean the girl is just a physical an athlete. You know, she pretty much does what she wants, you know, and um so we got we had a lot of deep talent and a lot of it coming back. Now we're gonna be a different team next year. You know, we gotta play tight on defense. We really, really have to have our pitching become more of a force, which you figure with our two main starters Juniors, we're gonna we're gonna a, they'll mature into get out a little bit, and um and they just really really throw a lot of voodoo at teams about how we get on the back. You see a lot lot more. I mean, out the game, we look, we really put in an option on fence. I'd say maybe four games into what became an 11 game season, you know. So and so it, it's it's growing pain. You know, we had toyed with it in practice, but really really never you know worked it in and then once we started we saw we needed a little bit something else brought in the options and they did well man i gotta say those young girls and most of the girls that we run that option offense are very young and they just they just bought into it And once they understood it we were really just doing some good with it
0: very good and and do you have any sort of guidance in terms of when you're going to be able to maybe do some things over the summer have you heard anything about that
1: no, we haven't heard anything, but we've got our plans already scripted. We've got a, a really, really aggressive off-season plan for when we, um, for when we can get back on the field and just be back on a field, you know, um, so we've got an aggressive platform, uh, platform of training and skills development. We want to work hard with our pitches. I mean, we're going to put those girls are young, but incredibly strong. We're going to work hard and getting one of those girls up into the, you know, 57, 58 mile an hour range, you know. So we really, really need that that variety, if you would, or the variation on speeds and styles. We got we got the variation on styles. We can throw a different style of pitcher in and have a lot of success once they've kind of timed us and mentally programmed our motion. So we do that, and um, but we really, really need to get one of our top girls into the 57, 58, looking at 60 in high school softball. Legit is about 55 miles an hour. Legit. Pretty much, to be honest with you, 51, 52, 53, they'll just, once they find you, they'll lay into you hard. And, um, we suffered a little bit over that for the past few years. We're a little bit bad at it this year. Our speed is coming up a bit. But for next year, I think with losing some of those big senior patches, we lose in this year's rotation. We're really going to need to, um, to have our pitching step up a little bit and, but a little bit more speed. I mean, the girl, look, the girls do an amazing job throwing spots. I think we've handled some of the better hitters out there. You know, in fact, we tend to do better against the better hitters, you know, in calling the pitches and putting them in certain positions, put it where they can't put a lot on it. You know, our, our kind of MO in pitching is we can't stop a great hitter from hitting often, but we can absolutely control where they hit it. You know, sure. we'll put it in their weak spot. And the girl, I give them credit, man, you know, from, you know, from, from Riley and Madeline and, and Mallory Pierce, their position pitches, I mean, you tell them to call a low inside, a high outside. They'll put it in the spot you called and we'll pretty much control, control the, uh, hitters. I think we've given up two, yeah, two home runs we gave up in the 11 games, which is actually a huge improvement from last year. You know, set out, and that was a sign of our young pitching stepping up and becoming a lot stronger.
0: Coach, you do something that I'm I don't know that I would be able to do and that's you coach your kid. Uh what's it like coaching Bailey? Uh and, and, and talk about that experience of having one of your own on the team.
1: Yeah, it it's it, uh it's probably harder for her than it is for me. I know it's it's always difficult to uh, to coach your own kid and I've talked to a lot of other coaches that have asked me about it. How do I do it? And I just, I'm just honest, man. I said, Look I said, you don't want to be my kid playing for me. I said, at some point <laughs> in your life, you'll look back and, and realize it was probably a good thing, but it's kind of like taking medicine. It doesn't, doesn't always feel good, you know? Right. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's it just, you know, I barely knows, man. Barely knows. I've always been honest with her and just like I was with Allie and just like with Alicia and my daughters and my sons and all of them. You know, look, you play for me. I'm going to tell you right now, you, you're going to, if you're going to get on the field, you got to be better than somebody. You can't be just as good. You can't be just as good. But uh, Bailey does a good job. I mean, when she was younger, kind of as a freshman, you know, she caught a lot more of a hard time, you know, from me. And, uh, but now she's, you know, I'm proud of her. I mean, she's matured into the position, matured into the role. She, uh, she executes, you know, one of those three triple plays. Bailey was the one girl that was involved in all three. Uh, California was in, uh, in, in the two. And California is almost like another daughter, you know. Who was just raised on a ball field with us, and um, so you know, I think the fruition of it is watching them perform. You know, in that pop 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 situation like that, yeah, it's like wow, proud of you, you know. And um, but it's difficult, man. You know, it's not it's not easy being a uh, being a coach's kid playing for your dad or your mom or something, man. Uh, but she 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 wears the role well, man. She does a good job at it.
0: Very good. Well, look, coach, I thank you so much for the time, and uh, I know you're a busy guy. I'm gonna let you go about your day, brother.
1: Hey, brother. Hey, thank you very much. And go
0: Tarbans. Yes, sir. That is Coach Pete Mellison with South LaFouche Softball joining us on the Casey's Corner Podcast. This is a reminder that at LaFoucheGazette.com, we are busy doing daily COVID updates at noon every day. We're going to have the latest numbers. We're going to keep you in tune with everything going on with the coronavirus. We – um Break down the maps and hospitalizations and everything that is important to you is important to us. So go to LaFoucheGazette.com for your latest in COVID tracking. We thank Coach Pete Mellis so so much for the time. He does a great job as always. Uh, The Lady Tarpon softball program is doing an excellent job. Um, But before we wrap up this uh, episode, our second episode, uh, first, I want to thank you guys so much for the support. We had more than 100 uh, downloads of the first episode uh, that's going to continue to grow I'm going to bust my tail I'm gonna bring you the best content I'm gonna bring you guests that you want to hear from and we're gonna have a lot of fun um, but as always I love questions uh, the reporters careers are based on questions I love asking questions I love answering questions I took some questions from you guys about the world of sports uh, I'm going to answer six of them here Now for you and then we'll wrap it up we'll call it a day so the first question is Casey what is the biggest upset you have ever covered Um, upset I assume meaning not good team beating good team um, and not the most upsetting game Um, but in that case the biggest upset that I've ever covered um, there's one that stands out and I want you guys to know something I, I gather these questions put them all together in a Word document and I don't think about the answers at all um, before going live. I think that'd be cheating. I think that would um, remove the raw emotion of it. Uh, I like to you know, go with what is the first thing that comes to my mind. So the first thing that comes to my mind is um, in Coach Terry Formers' second season, I think it was his second season down the Bayou, South LaFouche had a good team, but it was a young team and they just didn't know how to win games early in the season. So they started out 0-5 and lost just a bunch of close, hard-fought, competitive games. Uh, I remember losing a game to Warren Easton by a point. Um, now they did take it on the chin a couple of times too. Now TJ Cantrell and Vanderbilt put it on them good. You know Mike and Justin Williams are terrible and put it on them good early in the season. But they lost some competitive games that they could have won. They could have easily been three and two or two and three. Um, but they were matched up on the road against South Terrebonne. And South Terrebonne at the time was 5-0. and They were riding hot. They were cruising. You know, they had all this ambition. I think they were in the top 10 in the state at the time. And I remember that being just an ugly, drag-out brawl of a football game. I remember the field at the Swamp being dry and, and hard and sandy like it always is. So just a regular day of business at the Swamp. Uh, South LaFouche beat them 7-6 to six. I remember it was a hard physical hard fought game and the Tarpons made just that one extra play and they were able to get the 7-6 to six win um, that's probably one of the bigger upsets that I've called 0-5 beating 5-0 and um, that was one hell of a football game too I mean there were so many talented players on the field that day and that Tarpon team ended up getting hot and going 4-6 and six. Uh, so they won 4 out of 5 coming home um but that's one of the ones that stands out the most to me is i remember vividly the emotion and those kids just kind of exhaling because they were able to to pull one out and finally get their first one second question uh casey tell another story of a memorable game you've covered i love the stories about the great games in the last episode well thank you so much for that um the question oh man i'm trying to think now of a game um I told you guys a story about uh, triumph with Kenny Hilliard in the last episode. I'm gonna tell you now a story about the completely opposite emotion now. Um, In 2008, I was a junior at LSU, and I was doing some work for the papers out there and then also the LSU school paper. Um, There was a young lady by the name of Shannon Veal. You could Google her, S-H-A-N-N-O-N-V-E-A-L she was everything man she was everything and and a slice of bread she was was all that in a bag of doritos as they would say she was unbelievable lsu commitment they were the number two team in the state and i believe class 3a maybe class 4a i think class 4a actually um and we were uh alerted i remember getting the phone call uh hey i need you to cover something tomorrow night uh at a high school and i was doing work for the college paper at the time we didn't do any high school stuff so i was wondering you know what what that's going on shannon veal uh this three four star player like i said all everything with about a minute left in the first half of her playoff game against helen cox i think was the opponent um she collapsed and they were never able to bring her back she died on the court um LSU's coaching staff, from what I understand, was there to watch her play, and the game was called before halftime, um, because they tried to revive her, and you know the situation obviously was dire. They t- tried to revive her, and they couldn't bring her back. She had a heart defect, um, and you know, now there's a charity and everything in her name, and they raise money. Um, but it was it was such a sad thing. But the okay at the time, Glenn Oaks was as I said playing Helen Cox. You got to finish the game. I mean, it's in the middle of the playoffs. You could stop the game, but you can't stop the playoffs. So the next day, they had to finish the game. And my assignment was to go and cover the remainder of that game, which was two quarters and like a minute. Um, Talking to some people beforehand who were on the Helen Cox side, they were kind of like feeling bad because like, okay, they're down 10, um, but they got to play an entire half without Shannon Veal um and the sort of the the mentality or the mindset from the Helen Cox side was man, without this girl we we're going to crush them in the second half um well that didn't happen and it was one of the more sad but also one of the more uplifting and riveting things that I've ever seen in my career because those young ladies for Glen Oaks I don't know how in the hell they did this I couldn't have been able to do this and I'm going to get emotional talking about this um 24 hours after their teammate and their best friend died they played and they played masterfully they played with so much energy and so much intensity and so much effort and so much enthusiasm diving all over the floor for every loose ball slapping the floor in defense they had the spirit of their teammate in them on that day and they crushed helen cox they beat him by 30 ended up winning their next game after that and going somehow to the top 28 I've never seen more human spirit and human goodness in a gym as I did that day. Um, the Glen Oaks school community rallied around that kid and there was so much passion in the gym on that night. I'm never gonna forget that. I'm never gonna forget the name, Shannon Veal. Never met the kid, but man, I'm gonna remember that for a long time because that was unbelievable to see. Okay, oh, guys gave me a free songs. <laughs> Number three. Will Tiger Woods catch Jack Nicholas's majors record? I hope so, but I doubt it. Um, he just can't play enough anymore. I mean, he, when he plays a lot, he gets hurt. When he doesn't play a lot, he's rusting. He doesn't compete. Um, so I don't think so. But, man, I hope so. As anybody who knows me knows, I love Tiger Woods. He's my favorite athlete of all time. But I just don't see it happening, uh, unfortunately. Next question. Oh, my God. <laughs> Next question, tell us about the story of starting a basketball league from your home when you were in high school. Yeah, that's a true story. Um, so right around this time of the year when I was a senior, which would be in 2005, we were out of school because you know we had the early dismissal because you know we had those couple of weeks where uh, school's out for us but not for anyone else. And we decided we're bored. Let's make a basketball league. And when I say... A basketball league like nah like a real basketball league where we assigned captains we had i think four or five teams each team had its own name its own logo we had a draft of all the players and you know our little circle of friends who wanted to play uh we had a website where each team had its own individual little page we created a schedule and we played um you know like most sports leagues do we folded after about three weeks because it it got hot and uh it was very competitive but no man we we were rolling i remember our team was the the egrets um i remember it was me my buddy richard fisher uh, my buddy chris williams uh we faced a very competitive game against the red storm which was my buddy jeremy and pierce and chris's team And the legend from that game is I was, man, I was, I was being such a jerk and I I feel so bad. I was, there was a rule in the league where if you, um, if there were no free throws, so, you know, and there was no bonus. So if you fouled someone, you know, Hey, you just take it out at the top. I was a scrawny, skinny, unathletic white kid who couldn't play basketball for beans, but I was in relatively good cardio shape at the time. So I could, you know, I could, yeah, I, wouldn't, I would play for a long time and wouldn't get tired. But I wouldn't play very effectively. I could shoot the basketball a little bit but that was about it. Um, and when we played Red Storm, I couldn't guard uh, my, my friend Chris Slade at all. But that was the assignment that I had on that day. Um, so every time he'd beat me off the dribble or get the ball into the basket, I would just two-hand shove him and then just crush him. Like Detroit Pistons type foul just throwing him down, you know horse collaring him down, he was bleeding and at the time, you know competitive juices are flowing hey, I wanted to win uh, but man, I feel so bad because that was such a such a dirty thing to do it was such a jerk thing to do. Um, so we all go on and, and go to college or whatever and then the next summer we decide to do it again and we add on more people and, and more teams and uh, again it only lasted about two or three weeks again. Um, but the second season, uh, and this was all called the SLBL by, by the way, South Lafouche basketball league. The first season, all the games were played at my house. The second season, um, all the respective captains were, had the opportunity to host games at their house. So we had like home and away games, like this is some sophisticated stuff. Um, but no, it didn't last very long, but it is true. I did once have a basketball league at my house. I'd go ahead and try to find the old webpage that we made. I don't know if it's still active, but if it is. I'll screenshot it. I'll show you guys. It's ridiculous. But we had fun and we made memories. That's what it's all about. Number five, who's the best athlete you've never seen play, but you would have loved to have seen play? Oh, man, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, being from the Jisclair household where we like track and field, my dad was a track and field guy, still is a track and field guy, um, I would have to say Varney Oakwin. Anybody who's familiar with South LaFouche Athletics will know the name. I mean, there's so many legendary stories of him throwing the javelin from Golden Medal to Grand Isle and all the legends tales that you hear. Um, But I hear the guy was just incredible, and I would have loved to see him throw. And from what I understand, he wasn't too bad of an athlete in other areas um, as well. But if not him, and if we're talking, you know, like an actual, uh, you know, pass and catch, you know, sport involving a ball a team sport i guess i'm trying to say um it would have probably been david dillon who i think you know from the stories that i hear he was incredible uh on a championship team and running and, and doing all the things that you know that other people you know before and after him couldn't do um so it would probably be warney o'quinn or david dillon but there's so many i mean i i Thibodeau high school eric Andelsack. i never saw him play and i hear he was you know, my my uh, my uncle Randy told me once that he was uh, going up against Eric Andelsack, and he was you know every time he'd hit him, he would see stars. Um, you hear other stories. essentially, Lafous Tommy Hodson and just the the incredible player and incredible physical specimen he was. There's so many you could pick from, but the, the I would go with probably Barney just because I've heard so many stories about him in, in my household. Number six, last question we'll take. Do you remember the first game you ever called? I do, uh, <laughs> um, it was actually when I was in high school, I was a high school senior, but folks, you got to realize something, um, I've always wanted to do what I'm doing now, um, this is not something that's happening by accident, um, I, when I was five years old, I was in kindergarten, and at my kindergarten graduation, uh, Miss Elaine Ezel, God bless her soul, she's since passed away, uh, she announced me as the next John Madden, calling me up to the stage because I always wanted to be in media and I always wanted to be in sports media. I always wanted to be some sort of or some form of a broadcaster. Um, kind of career took a little bit of a twist and, and as I never really wanted to be a reporter per se, I wanted to be more of a broadcaster, but now I do both. Um, but my first game was... It was a basketball game at South Lafouche and it was my senior year, and we were playing Destrehan at home. It was during the Mardi Gras holiday, and I want to say that um, for whatever reason, the radio crew was not able to call that game, the radio crew being oh, my buddy Ken Freelander and my buddy Tommy Plaisance, so they didn't call that game, but Vision was there filming the game, so they needed um, audio to go behind the video. So they asked, you know, hey, do you know of anyone? Or they asked, I think it was Coach Kiley. Uh, do you know of anyone who could do the audio for the game? And Coach um, knew that I was involved and he recommended me and, and we made it happen. I mean, me and my buddy, Richard Fisher, who lives out in the city, one of my best friends, been my best friend for hell since sixth, seventh grade. Um, so we called the game. Didn't know a lick about Destrahan basketball. It was Mardi Gras holiday. South Lafouche didn't play well. Got mowed over. We didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we were talking over one another, interrupting one another. There was no play-by-play guy. We were both you know, kind of talking at the same time. It was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Um, but at the same time, it was fun, and it was an adrenaline rush, and it taught me, um, that man, this is what I want to do. And then now, um, my first... The first game that I called professionally after, you know, like going to college and stuff, um, I did South Lafourche baseball for a couple of seasons with Ken. And then the first football game that I called play-by-play um, was Ken was on a trip to Colorado with the Nichols football team, and I called a game play-by-play after doing sidelined for a long time with Tommy for one week. That was at Central Lafourche. South was playing Central and I remember the game was a thriller. It came down to the last second. Uh, Central Lafouche got sacked at like the 20-yard line. And they were going in to try to score, to try to win the game. But they got sacked and ran out of time. They couldn't spike the ball in time. Um, so that was the first game that I did p- play-by-play for. But the first game that I've ever called, period, it was in high school. Um, and, yeah, we were god-awful. I don't have any tape of that. I don't want any tape of that. It was It was real bad. Uh, but we learn. We live and we learn. Uh, but truthfully, anybody who knows me, uh, or anybody who grew up around me, tell you that I've been calling games my entire life. I mean, I, I sat. I could. I've called thousands of my own games on PlayStation. Um, my my whole childhood was spent with a with a video game controller in my hand and commentating my own games. Um, I would always be the Cowboys on Madden and BB first and ten for the cowboys you know aikman drops back i would i I had so much practice just from clowning around around the house um so yeah that's always what i've wanted to do so i thank you all for listening this second episode i think was better than our first episode we're getting into a little bit of a routine we're getting into a little bit of a groove we're lining up some guests and we're going to continue to have people who are going to be getting involved and we're going to get my voice out of this and get the voice more focused on people in the community because you guys don't want to hear me talk you guys want to hear the people who are out there making it happen talk so we're going to be lining that up for you we've got teresa coming on in a future episode coach pete joined us today so we're going to sign off right here thanks so much for listening this has been the casey's corner podcast all the news all the information everything that you could ever want lafouchegazette.com find it today good afternoon everybody stay safe socially distance um do all the things that you've been doing because we've got the stats, we've got the numbers, and they all show that they're working. So keep it up. Good job, guys. God bless. Keep it right here on lafouchegazette.com.